I share an office with you, Jerem, and you are the elite multitasker. I'm okay. Every single member of the guest audience gets a free car! I've never uh, sprained my ankle. I would just do the spraining. I'd spray another Oh, on the hey. basketball court. Hey, I see what you're saying. Yeah, right. I'm going to cross This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Now joining us on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline, he's the head coach of the BYU Cougars coming off of two top 100 wins. He is Mark Pope. What's up, Mark? Richard Hardwood. <laughs> I love it. He's, he's the man, right? Well, congratulations on uh, a couple of bi- big wins. Obviously, just the second win in Moraga in, in uh, BYU history. And then San Francisco, that's a team that beat BYU last year. And you go in there and get a win. So this was uh, unprecedented stuff for the Cougars. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a huge trip for us. Uh, you know, you, if you look at the schedule, the way it turned out, we start conference on the road at Gonzaga, at St. Mary's, at San Francisco. Uh, you need which, to answer that. Which is... Not normally the way you anticipate it. You feel like the conference really got you if that's the way you start your season. Uh, but our guys responded great after a really tough loss at Gonzaga. Uh, they, they had a great week last week. I'm so proud of them. Coach, after having uh, several weeks off in between games and then maybe playing one game, you finally get back to somewhat of a normal schedule with two games in a week. How good did that feel to get into that type of rhythm again? Yeah, it was good. It's it just we're so grateful to play. And, um, we, you know, I think with those three games on our belt, we feel like we're actually in conference play, right? And so we're excited about this week. we got two games coming up this week. We'll be playing at home for the first time in a month, which is so weird. And um, we're really excited about it. Playing uh, on the road versus playing at home. Obviously, playing at home has its benefits, even if there's not a crowd. But is there much of a difference this year playing at home when there's no crowd than playing on the road? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's everything's so different, right? Um, so, you know, for us, we kind of feed off of, you know, example, when we were at San Diego State, uh, it was such an epic game. It was, you know, they were playing so great at the time, uh, uh, you know, and had their full roster. And, and uh, you know, I think they were a top 20 team at the time. And, and so it was such a massive game, and there was so much intensity in the gym. Uh, after the game, you're kind of like, man, that was really fun. But could you imagine what it would have been like if the show had been in the building, right? Yeah. Because our guys really do feed off that energy and intensity of the crowd also. And it adds so much drama to the game. And so, you know, I've said this before, uh, you know, the, one of the only two games we've had fans at was at Utah State. And it was, it just was, and it was only a couple thousand fans, uh, but it just, man, it changes the experience so much. So um, it definitely makes it different. Uh, and and we, we miss the fans. We miss be, being in the Marriott Center with the fans that love us, and we miss being in other gyms with the fans that hate us because it adds so much to the experience. But, but with that said, uh, we're just so grateful to play. Coach, there were a lot of individual performances that we could talk about, but I want to first and foremost ask you about Gideon George. He provided such a lift in the games over the weekend on both ends, but certainly defensively. What's led to his emergence and his play over the last couple of games? Well, listen, Gideon's a special talent, uh, and he's even more than his talent. He's such a beautiful human being. Uh, 
and he's he's actually so funny as is as we get to know him better and he gets to know us better uh he just adds so many dimensions to our locker room and our team um and he can make plays defensively that are that are really special now he can make plays offensively that are really different that are different than what we do also um he's every day he becomes more comfortable with our schemes and more comfortable with how we approach the game and you know, we think he's going to have a real ceiling, but he was crucial in this. In this, you know, during this week, obviously he made an unbelievable difference in the in the last ten minutes of the game, kind of managing a situation we were struggling with uh, against St. Mary's, and then in San Francisco he had a couple almost back-to-back series where he had a a, a block in transition from behind that was um, was just beyond extraordinary and follows it up uh, by making an incredibly fundamental play, taking a charge in transition. And um, so he's, you know, he's going to continue. Like we're going to see more and more and more of Gideon George as this season goes on. And he, as he becomes more comfortable with the pace and intensity of division one basketball and, and, and certainly with our system and how we do things. We're talking with former Columbia medical student, Mark Pope here on BYU sports nation. <laughs> uh, Mark Richard Harwood, Harwood, Hardwood, had a tremendous uh, last eight minutes, especially against San Francisco. He kind of just put the team on his back, drawing charges, blocking shots, dunking it. Felt like the whole team fed off his energy, and he really helped uh, swing the momentum when, when you guys were down by seven or eight in that second half against San Francisco. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, there's a fun, uh, kind of a fun run in the second half where, um, you know, we went small, we went smaller than we traditionally do with this lineup, and you know, they had been uh, monstering the post on the catch really well in the first half and the first 10 minutes of the second half. And so we went to a smaller lineup and spaced the floor a little bit and attacked that way for a couple possessions. And then they left Matt Harms by himself. And Matt scored in three of five possessions, uh, you know, kind of back, back to back to back. And then, um, and, then, and then after all that, then you bring Rich in and throw him at, at him. And I just think for an opponent – is so frustrating and and rich you know makes an impact on both sides of the ball so quickly and physically uh you know sometimes it seems like he runs through nine guys to get to an offensive rebound and by the time he comes up with it all nine guys are laying on the floor having been bowled over <laughs> and rich is standing there alone to put the put the ball back in the hoop and um you know, he's also so good on the defensive end in terms of his rim protection and being able to take charges and move his feet. And he, he was awesome in both games. Coach, in the last segment, Jeremy and I were discussing uh, this year's team versus last year's team through 14 games. And I realize, obviously, it's different personnel. And last year's team through 14 games was still in non-conference. But we were trying to compare and see where these teams really matched up against each other. How, how would you compare – this year versus last year through 14 games. And is there a chance maybe this team actually is better than last year's team through 14 games? Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I think we're just – it's just so different, right? We're, we're just completely different ball clubs. Uh, th- this team is new and new together. Uh, we still are um, – you know, we're still in the process of developing into who we can become um, – you know, you talk about a guy like Gideon George. So, one, we have a lot of depth that we get to work with. And, two, you're seeing guys grow every day into bigger roles, right? Um, and so this team is so dynamic 
in in the sense of of the way we attack different teams could change personal ways the way we approach it uh depth wise could change things and then this incredible growth the guys are seeing individually in their ability you know um uh, the Caleb Lohner, uh, you know, was our worst points per possession guy offensively on the roster in the last four games. He's been the best, uh, most efficient offensive guy we've had on the team by far. And so you see that kind of growth and development and all of those things kind of um, is this kind of swirling stew of us trying to put this team together. Contrast that with last year where you're going to roll out the same guys every single game when they were healthy. And um and they were just the, the only real change in dynamics there from the first game to the last game was just kind of learning our system and learning how we play and, and feeling urgency. So, um, you know, I think uh, obviously last year's team, what they did was so tremendous and it was so special. And um, and, and they did it their own way, uh, you know, with incredible skill and being the top three-point shooting team in the country and being able to overcome some of the deficits that that roster faced. And this this year's roster is doing it completely differently um, in terms of schematically and in terms of utilizing depth and in terms of having guys on the roster that are really, really growing immensely before our eyes and kind of all the dynamics that 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 adds as the game. So I think it's hard to compare them. I think the one thing that is a constant is what made last year's team so incredibly special was their locker room. And I think uh Equally as important, maybe even more important to this year's team's success so far and certainly in, in, in the coming games is going to be how good our locker room can be. And, and so that's the one thing that's stayed exactly the same. Best locker room in America, right? There's a hashtag. There's some shirts. If you make it a shirt, it's a real thing, right? Um, okay, Mark, if you shut your phone off for an hour, how many missed calls are you getting typically? You hear a beep in the background. I'm sorry, guys. Can you hear it? I got it. I got it. I got to mute it. Uh, <laughs> no, you're you know, good. I get a lot of I get a lot of texts of people complaining. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, what do they have to complain about? Eleven and three right now. Which brings me to this, Mark. <laughs> you played 14 games. You haven't missed a single game due to any COVID issues. Obviously, you've had issues like everyone else has, but it hasn't prevented guys from playing games. How has this team been able to navigate that to be able to play 14? Yeah, we've been really fortunate. I, I mean, listen, you know, f- first of all, my guys are being really diligent in um, in trying to follow all the protocols they can, and uh, and you know, so they they you know they they're kind of leading a little bit of private lives right now, trying to be as careful as they can for their team. And beyond that, you just also have to be fortunate, right? We've been really fortunate because you, because we've seen over and over and over again, you can do everything right and still and still you know, test positive and, and have a setback. So um, it's been a combination of the two of the guys doing the best they can and then us being really fortunate as we move forward. What are the challenges with this week's games uh, against Portland and Pepperdine? So, yeah, so both teams uh, really push the ball in transition. Uh, both teams play lineups where they shoot it one through five. Uh, both teams really, really space the floor. So they have some similarities. Um, Pepperdine has six significantly more size than San Francisco right now. Both teams are really, really well coached. Um, and it's going to feel much different than it, it, than it felt 
this past week, uh, completely different style where, where transition and spacing the floor are such key ingredients to what these teams do. Um, we'll face much different defensive schemes too. There were some similarities between, uh, St. Mary's and, 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 uh, San Francisco in terms of both of them being elite teams in terms of taking away your assist game. They're going to make you play a little bit more in isolation. Both teams really, really focus on guarding the three-point line and taking away the three. Uh, Pepperdine and, and Portland approach it differently defensively. They have different defensive focus and different defensive strengths. So uh, it's, it's a huge week for us. You know, Portland uh, already has beat Oregon State this year, had a, a great win against Oregon State. Um, Pepperdine uh, – you know, rolled into this season. They've had a little bit of disappointment and a little bit of COVID issues, uh, but they started the season um, as, you know, as a team that everybody was thinking would finish in the top three in this league, at least the top four. Uh, they, they have two um, guys right now that everybody think have the potential to be big-time pros uh, in Kobe Ross, who, you know, um, is, is put up, ridiculous numbers in his entire career and and Kessler Edwards who you know looks every bit the part of being an NBA basketball player um, as his career continues and uh, and and so they're both really dangerous and and we're gonna have to play great basketball to compete. Well Mark we appreciate the time we know you're a busy dude you're getting ready for uh, Portland then Pepperdine not once but twice which will be fun Saturday then next Wednesday so uh, we appreciate the time and we'll see you tomorrow on the Pope Show. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, Mark. That's Mark Pope on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. I still didn't get the answer I wanted of uh, how many times he'd, how many missed calls he'd have or how many texts he'd have in an hour. He's probably, his phone's probably blown up. He might be a two-phone guy. Ooh, you know multiple I mean? phones. Oh, yeah. Just battery. You got, you've, got, you've, got to have, yeah. you've got to have it available at all times. Yes, listen, there's, you know, you're calling him to get info and so-and-so's texting him and recruiting and what. Richard Harward's like, my name's Harward! You know, <laughs> the parents are calling and you got to deal with them. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Okay, we talked about it earlier, but let's discuss some more. Pro Football Focus put out the top 101 players in college football from the 2020 season. This morning, three BYU Cougars on the list, if you missed it. Zach Wilson, the third best player in college football. Incredible. Uh, The second quarterback and first non-Alabama player. So Devontae Smith, who's like the best receiver in college football history, arguably, uh, at Alabama, won the Heisman. uh, And then Mac Jones. And then Zach Wilson. Wow. Brady (laughs) Christensen at eighth. First offensive lineman. Higher than Penny Sewell, by the way. Crazy. Dax Milne. He opted out. I can't remember. 47th. And fifth receiver. So riddle me this. The, these Dax Mill was 46th. Sorry, 46th. Thank you. Fifth uh, receiver listed. Will all three of these guys be drafted? It seems obvious on the first two. I, I, be- I think believe. that Dax with P- – and PFF loves them some BYU, man. They yes, love they do. them some BYU. BYU has been very but, high there. But it's uh, neutrally graded. I, like they, but they're pushing Zach so hard. Brady, so hard. Uh, Dax on this list. I do believe all three will get drafted. And I know that there are some that think maybe Dax is free agent. I, I am expecting him 
to be drafted later in the drafts, so like fifth, sixth, seventh round. And he said, he told us his goal is fourth. Yes. And so, look, so I'm not going to put it past him, yeah. especially, look, and they announced, I think it was over the weekend. It seems like the days kind of run together anymore, but they announced that the, the scouting count combine is going to be completely different. Mm-hmm. You're certainly going to be relying a lot more on each team's pro days. And, and they may uh, be. How's they it going to be different? I missed it. Well, they're, they're just not, they're not going to have it. Oh, no. They're, they're not going to have, there's not going to be one, in, not everybody's going to go to Lucas Oil Field and do it like they have done. Gotcha. It will be much more regional, okay. and so you're going to put a lot more emphasis on the pro days, and I think that that's where a guy like Dax Milne, obviously, I understand the pro days, I understand where that comes from, but I, I certainly hope that the pro day is just part of it, and you look at what these guys did on film. I, oh, yeah. I, at the end of the day, oh, I yeah, hope yeah, that's yeah. what For ultimately sure. is what people make their decisions on, but I do believe all three get drafted. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I agree with you. I think Dax gets drafted. I think he will kill it in person. Yes. Um, it, and listen, they'll send scouts. There were scouts at games still. There were Niners scouts uh, right by me at the uh, Boca Raton Bowl in the end zone. Uh, there were scouts. Was it Kyle Shanahan? No. I was like, what's up, Kyle? Uh, in the North, at the North Alabama game, I saw at least uh, you know, several, five teams in person. At least before the game, if not more, right? All looking at Zach, obviously, but also Brady, Dax. Don't forget about other guys who will be undrafted type guys. Um, and and Kyrus Tonga in the mix, Matt Bushman in the mix, Isaiah Kafusi in the mix, among others, Troy Warner, Chris Wilcox. Perhaps not drafted, but at least free agent signing. So I, I'm interested. Obviously, the, the question is when will these guys be drafted and by whom? Zach Wilson is going to be likely a top five pick. So Jaguars, they're probably going to pick Trevor Lawrence. But Urban Meyer last week said, hey, at the number one pick, you look at Trevor, you look at Justin Fields, Ohio State, yes. and you look at Zach. He named him in the discussion of number one. That, that doesn't mean he's going number that's one. Also, but the fact that he yes. is named is just amazing. But that's also to get people who may be interested in those other two quarterbacks to maybe trade up and sure. then Jaguars get sure. another asset. I'm Yes, I'm just pointing out the fact that he got mentioned as the number one. Oh, I think it's great. Crazy. So Jaguars won. You'd think Trevor Lawrence. Maybe the Ohio State thing with Justin Fields comes out. Jets, Sam Darnold's going to stay. So do they draft a quarterback at all? Yet the uh, passing game coordinator, uh, LaFleur from – Mike LaFleur. Mike LaFleur from the Niners is there as the OC now. So we – and I know the Niners like Zach. Yes. Who doesn't like Zach, though? Come on. Falcons, Arab apparent to Matt Ryan. I'll be surprised if Zach falls past four. If he, if he gets to five, Bengals don't need a quarterback, obviously, uh, with Joe Burrow. Philadelphia Eagles, do they want to keep Jalen Hurts as the guy? Carson Wentz, it feels like that's he's on the outs there. We'll see. Detroit Lions at seven, they probably need a quarterback to replace Matt Stafford at some point. I think you're going to have a team trade up. He's going to be he in gets, the top five, If he man. doesn't go number two, I think you're going to see a team maybe move up to get him. Well, okay, yeah, and if the Niners love him, they got to move up because they're at 12. Okay, Brady Christensen. He is not listed as a first-round guy by anybody. So it feels like he's a second- or third-round guy, which is a day-two prospect. Mm-hmm. I think that's fine, and that's great. And I think that's where he goes. Do you, I, dis- do you disagree? No, no, no. I think I'm, okay. I'm looking at probably second round. I think that okay. makes a lot of sense. for. But I also think he is a guy that, with some of these workouts, has an opportunity to move up. Now, whether or not it's a high enough move, depending on where he would have gone in the second round to move up yeah. into the first, I don't know. But I certainly believe that with all of the metrics that we have seen on Brady Christensen and, and really kind of the hype around him, I, I look, you cannot, especially with, and I know this, this sounds like, well, of course, 
with the NFL being such a quarterback-driven league, you have got to get guys on the offensive line to protect the investment at quarterback. Oh, and it's so there the is such second a pre- most coveted yes, position in football. It is such a premium to get offensive linemen, and when you've got a guy that has proven what Brady Christensen has done, I, I would not be surprised to see him move up maybe late first round, but I certainly am expecting second. Yeah. I wouldn't expect anything lower than a third round on Brady. He hasn't had an O-lineman drafted since 05, so that's going to be interesting. And then you think about quarterback, uh, you go back to 07 draft with John Beck, right? Yeah. For quarterback drafted? Right. Yeah. Not Taysom, not Max. Uh, yeah, so it's been a minute. And then Dax Milne. And the exciting thing with Brady, so Zach's going to go to a terrible team unless a good team trades up, okay? But if they're a good team, they don't need a quarterback. So it's going to be a bad team. Um, Brady and Dax have a chance to go to a good team. So one of our teams. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> yeah. Which could happen. So that's exciting. I'm stoked to see where these guys go. Kyrus is going to get a chance, like I mentioned. Isaiah Kafusi is going to get a chance. I think Chris Wilcox will get a chance. We'll see with Troy Warner as well. Um, and I may have missed a few other guys. Chandon Herring and Tristan Hodge and, and others. This was uh, – and just, Cougar fans, brace yourself for this. I know we're all excited about 11-1, and and we should be. There's going to be a dip. If he's not going to finish 11th in the country next year, if he's not going to have a uh, first-round pick uh, in all likelihood, hopefully they do, but the chances are they don't. And seven power fives. And, like, enjoy the, the fruits of 11-1. and one. Well, um, Because you have great players, and we didn't have to play a power five and took advantage and dominated in all but two games, uh, losing one and winning the other. And it, it's fun to see this. And then, and then we'll get around to the fact that BYU is probably going to try and get eight wins next fall. See, for me, and this is every year, it's not just this year, but with BYU having more high-profile draft picks, certainly with Zach Wilson, I, I, I think it's, it's all about fit. I really hope these guys go to a place where they are a good fit. Kyle Van is a perfect example. Goes to Detroit, it's just not a good fit now. He dealt with some injuries. And then he got moved to, to New England, and then he was unbelievable. You know what he's I mean? It was a, it was a better was fit. There. It's a good fit as well where he's at in Miami. So going where you have the best chance to be successful, that's key for yeah. all of it. Amen. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. It's always nice to have a guy from Pro Football Focus gushing about Zach Wilson. Listen, I love uh, winning. I love uh, NFL draft projections right now. This is something we've not really had to do very much during the history of the show, is look at those. And PFF is, uh, certainly likes BYU as, as much as we do. And uh, Anthony Tresh uh, talked with me earlier this morning. He came up with that top 101 players list, as you mentioned, Spence. And uh, we talk a lot about the NFL draft. Here he is on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline. All right, Anthony, we really like Zach Wilson, obviously, being here at uh, BYU. But it feels like the next uh, lover of Zach Wilson is pro football focus. You guys have been so high on him all year. What is it about him that has made him uh, one of the poster uh, children of college football this year and and, uh, maybe the number two draft pick? Yeah, I mean, he's pretty much broken our grading system. I mean, he's <laughs> re- recorded a elite PFF grade and what we call elites above those 90.0 marks. Um, you know, a, a normal quarterback is lucky to get maybe one of those a year. For most quarterbacks, a good game's in the 80s. For Zach Wilson, a, a game in the 80s was a bad game because in over half his games played, he recorded one of those elite passing grades above 90.0. Actually beat out Joe Burrow's passing grade record um, from last season. It was right around 95.8, which is really unheard of. And that's when kind of the 
you know, the strength of schedule concerns kind of come in, but he did exactly what he should have should have done against this weak competition. He absolutely lit him up week in and week out. And, you know, it's unlike anything we've really ever seen. And so that's what kind of gives us, you know, a lot of confidence in him moving forward when you look at, you know, all the tools he has to some of the off platform throws, the tight window throws. Yeah, I mean, he actually recorded a 92.7 pass grade on tight window throws. The highest before this that we've ever seen was Joe Burrow last year at 81.7. So, I mean, that was a pretty substantial difference there. I mean, he just did everything you could possibly want at a high level. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up falling just because um, of Justin Fields. You know, we do have a, we still love Justin Fields as the third quarterback off the board, but you kind of take into account the offense he was in. I mean, he had a significant amount of open throws, actually the lowest rated tight window throws in college football. Struggled there with some coverage rotations against Northwestern Indiana and then Clemson back in um, the CFP semifinal a couple of years ago. So we like Zach Wilson as quarterback too, um, but we're probably, you know, the highest of, of any, any network or any team on Zach Wilson. Yeah, absolutely. And full disclosure, we actually, uh, you know, plugged into Pro Football Focus and paid and got the data this year, and it's been awesome. Uh, and it's been awesome to talk to guys like you on the show throughout the year. So I want to ask you this with the NFL draft. Certainly Zach is in the conversation for two. Uh, at one, it feels like it's Trevor Lawrence, right? But maybe Justin Fields with the Ohio State thing with Urban Meyer. And then Zach's going to be probably quarterback two or three. So where do you see him falling to potentially? Because it feels like he's not going to go out outside the top five. Yeah, I mean, I would be – you never know with the NFL draft because every year something crazy happens. You know, the whole Mitchell Trubisky thing a few years ago, Cleveland Farrell going fourth overall. I mean, there, something very weird happens every single year. Um, and this could be the situation with Zach Wilson, but I'd be very surprised if he falls past, you know, the Atlanta Falcons at the fourth overall pick. I think no matter what, you know, or even the fifth overall pick, the Bengals are not going to take a quarterback. But if for some reason Zach Wilson or maybe even Justin Fields is sitting there with at the fifth overall pick, there's going to be tons of teams calling trying to get that pick because the amount of, you know, need at the quarterback position this year is, you know, probably higher than it's ever been. You could probably make a reasonable case about over a third of the league would be in a market for a quarterback this season, this offseason. And there's kind of a, there's good demand in the draft, but you're not going to get a whole lot there. You know, there's only five or six quarterbacks that have, you know, that high end potential. So I'd be very surprised if he escapes the top five. I don't think he should escape the second overall pick. I think it should be Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and then Justin Fields at three, even to Miami. I mean, you look at Tua Tungabaola and Justin Fields, we still like Justin Fields even more as a prospect and given what we saw from Tua, kind of makes sense to lean that route and then, you know, kind of offer Tua in a trade elsewhere but I, I would be surprised if he ends up falling past you know the fourth or fifth pick things uh, go so fast right a year ago we were not thinking Zach Wilson wouldn't be here for a senior year now we're talking about him being the highest draft pick in BYU history I mean things escalate quickly and uh, in the top 101 players you guys had Zach Wilson at number three which we affectionately called the number one non-Alabama player which was fun with Devontae Smith and Mac Jones was Zach Wilson the surprise player of the year in college football yeah, I think he has to make, you know, he has a reasonable case forward. I think Mac Jones is up there. Devonta Smith, we didn't really expect him to put up, you know, Heisman level numbers or, you know, consider him, you know, that Amari Cooper, you know, Julio Jones type of draft prospect. Um, before the season, we thought he would have an incredible year, one of the best budget receivers in college football. So I think it's Mac Jones or Zach Wilson, um, just because those two put up PFF grades like we've never seen, like before we, I mentioned earlier, we've never seen a quarterback put, produce a single season PFF grade above 95.0. Uh, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones both did that this season. And of course, Mac Jones did it against, you know, on an all SEC schedule and then Notre Dame and then Ohio State in the college football playoffs. So that was quite impressive. 
Um, I think those two are probably the biggest surprise performers. But I mean, there was a lot. I mean, we saw record-breaking performance after record-breaking performance across the board at almost every position on the offensive side of the ball. We're talking with Anthony Tresh of Pro Football Focus. He's a senior college analyst here on BYU Sports Nation. Again, always great to talk to you. Okay, Brady Christensen. PFF was also higher on Brady Christensen than anybody else. We're not hearing, you know, first-round grade for Brady per se, but he graded so well this year. How does he shake out in the NFL draft? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he actually broke the – that was one of the record-breaking performances was Brady Christensen. I mean, he was he was good in 2018, great in 2019. This year he was flat-out elite. I mean, he had a 96.0 PFF grade, um, which topped Pene Sewell's 2019 season as the highest Woo. we've seen, which goes back to 2014. Um, and, you know, th- this draft is very interesting because there's three positions that are stacked and better than a lot of other draft classes, but then everything else is very bad. And that just happens to be, you know, where BYU has a lot of players as quarterback, receiver, and tackle. And so when you look at Brady Christensen, there's it's Pene Sewell, the, the number one guy. He should go top five. There's 100%. And then after that, there's five or six guys that, you know, could be – there's just going to be a, diff- a weird string there. You know, you have Christian Darisol from Virginia Tech, Samuel Cosme from Texas, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern, Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State. There's a lot of guys jumbled up in there. And, of course, Brady Christensen. So I think, you know, when you consider all of those guys, I would put them almost in the same tier – yeah, I think a lot of teams, and we would even two-side with the guys that went up, you know, against the Power 5 competition, as opposed to Brady Christensen, you know, playing against a, kind of a weaker schedule. But he absolutely mauled every single defensive line he faced. I mean, no one gave a run for his money. And as you can see there with the PFF grade, just three pressures allowed all year long. So, again, he did exactly what he needed to do, but we would still side with, you know, guys like Rashawn Slater, Samuel Cosme, uh, Darison Jenkins ahead of him. But still, I think he's going to be a very – you're going to get a lot of good value if he ends up being there in the second round. Yeah, I was thinking day two as well, kind of a second or third rounder. Let's talk about uh, the other guy in the top 50 of the 101 for uh, PFF. So Zach Wilson at three, Brady Christensen at eight. Gnarly, two dudes in the top eight. And then uh, Dax Milne was sitting at, uh, what, 46 or 47. So he had a breakout year as well. Uh, how, how do you assess Zach, Dax Milne going into the draft? Yeah, I mean, I would have liked to have seen him stay another year. Um, and I don't blame him for you know, declaring early because he's certainly not going to put up the numbers he did this year and next year. It just was not going to happen. Um, he's definitely a wild card. I think he's he may or may not end up being drafted. I think his best case is a late day three kind of pick. Um, he could help himself a little bit this offseason um, with some of the testing there. But, I mean, he he did, again, like Zach Wilson um, and Brady Christensen, he absolutely lit up the competition he faced, continuously got open. Um, the granted, he also had a high rate of accurate targets thrown to him because Zach Wilson was just <laughs> continuously the ball placement was always right where it needed to be. Um, but he, I mean, Zach Wilson was impressive. Um, but I don't, I don't think from a prospect standpoint, he's on that same level as Zach Wilson. He's definitely not on that same level um, of Zach Wilson or Brady Christensen. And then there are a couple other guys that are interesting, perhaps draft picks, perhaps uh, undrafted free agents. And Kyrus Tonga, defensive tackle, Matt Bushman, who tore his Achilles prior to the season, but was on the radar at tight end. And then a guy like Isaiah Kafusi, a linebacker. Any of those guys pop in terms of potential draftable guys, in your opinion? I think they're all kind of in that Dax Milne territory where they could, and it's going to be a late day three kind of scenario. Um, just because, you know, they were good, but they didn't really have those types of Brady Christensen's or Zach Wilson's type of season where they were, you know, you know, week in, week out, down for down, just dominant. And, you know, the, the physical tools to come into play. So I think those, all of those guys are definitely late day three conversation. Um, but of course, we're taking the flyer on because they're great for BYU. Uh, but yeah, we, it's still not on that Brady Christensen. 
in day two or Zach Wilson day one type of level. Tell us about how you assess a player, what goes into the scores, because we see the numbers and, and uh, they're impressive for what BYU did this year. And as you've mentioned several times, and I completely agree, uh, you know, it's BYU played a schedule that was a little easier, right? Uh, and yet took advantage and dominated. So how does that uh, go into the scoring when you assess a player based on kind of who they're playing? Yeah, so that's the, a very important thing with the, you know, looking at the player grades, just because the strength of schedule is not baked into there. So, you know, off the top of my head, if you were to look at the top 10 offensive guards in college football this year, the top nine is going to be non-power five guys just because they played against lesser competition. It's kind of easier to dominate. Um, so, I mean, that, that's an, an important thing to look at. But with the, the grading system, it's always good to look for those outliers like Brady Christensen and Zach Wilson. Those were those outliers. And take that into account when you're it's, – it's not the be-all, end-all, the grading system. I'll, I'll admit it. It's not, gonna, it's not going to perfectly match college to pro but it always leads you in the right direction. That's why, you know, I, I, I'm biased, of course, but that's why I love PFF so much in what we do here with the grading system and, you know, why we can, you know, kind of offer that help just because it leads it, the people to the right people to look at. And then at the end of the day, you can, you know, dive into the tape and that's what the teams love too because they compare our database with the video and pull up, you know, certain situations and filters and find out, you know, you kind of see what kind of competition they faced, how they earned, you know, the reps. And so that that's kind of the whole it's much more nuanced than that. But that's kind of the, the basic there. So that's an important thing too. you know, looking at it since the strength of schedule is not baked into there, kind of looking at that and looking at the schedule compared to some of the power five guys. Obviously, having Chris Collinsworth heavily involved, which, by the way, there was a former BYU men's basketball player named Chris Collinsworth. And every Sunday night he gets like random tweets from people about the other Chris Collinsworth. But anyway. Uh, PFF has grown a ton. I, I see it used on Sunday Night Football. I see it used all over the place. How have you seen teams use or sometimes maybe ignore, perhaps to their detriment, the information you guys put out? Yeah, it definitely varies team by team. I mean, some teams value it more. Uh, we're contracted with all 32 NFL teams for both college and pro data. Um, most of the FBS, I'd say roughly cl- – we're getting close to 100 of the 130 teams. Not quite there yet, but we're, we're getting there. We will get there eventually. Um, and it just depends, as you said, Sunday night football, you know, myself and a couple of other guys, we help out and do live stuff for Sunday night football. And we're hooked in there, help them give them the data that they want for the broadcast. Um, but yeah, the, like I mentioned earlier, the biggest thing the teams want is that video feature, just because, you know, back in the day, it's, it's cutting up tape that would take hours. I mean, they we're helping them save, you know, tens of thousands of hours in the offseason just because, oh, you want to see a guy under pressure on third down, you want to watch all those dropbacks. All right. It would take days to get that before. Now you can just click two buttons and it pops up right there for you. So that that's the biggest thing the teams like. And, you know, so the, it, it's just kind of another leading factor there with all the data we have. And so some teams like to take the data, use it themselves, do some cool things. Um, but it just all depends what kind of organization they are, because there's some that are a little more analytically driven. Um, you know, you see what the Cleveland Browns are doing, but there's some, they aren't so much. Um, I won't name some of those teams, but you know, it, it's it's inter- it's interesting to see how it's evolving because we're in the midst of a big analytical movement, and each day that goes by, you can see more and more teams adapting to that and understanding. You know, as we've seen from the fourth down play calling, you know, the Indianapolis Colts playoff game comes to mind, even though you know they didn't really execute very well. They made the right decision to you know to go for the in those situations. So. You know, it's just interesting to see, and I'm really excited for the next 10 years because I think it's going to be an even larger movement than it is now. Hey, and our guy Andy Reid on fourth down as well, right? 
Exactly. Every, every down's a passing down. That's right. BYU, Lavelle Edwards. We love it. Well, Anthony, great stuff. We look forward to uh, catching up with you probably again before the NFL draft. Thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was Anthony Tresh on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. So some real insight into what could be a great draft for BYU. It's going to be, you know, several guys, just how many. Yeah, and it's fascinating to hear how they think about players and how they grade them based on just the individual skill set, not so, not so much on like, well, who are they matched up against? It's, they, they take that in consideration as well, but, I mean, the way they analyze is next level. Like, I, I believe in their grades. It's, it's, uh, I know they're true. Uh, it's, it's fun to look at offensive linemen in a quantifiable way, which uh, it's been harder to find over the years. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Shall we do some uh, prop picks? Because it is a game day for BYU basketball. Presented by Bodyguards. Protection for a life worth living. Learn more at bodyguards.com. Okay, Jeremy's spinning the wheel after following 2 nothing in last week's picks. And your consequence is... What does it say? I can't read it. I can't even tell it. I'm going to turn. What? Jeopardy. So you have to, oh, answer. I have to answer with a question? Every question, yes. Dang it. <laughs> or, what is what? dang it? <laughs> Shoot. All right, here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> ben Bagley, join us for today's picks, won't you? Who is Ben Bagley? All right. Topic number one, which BYU bench player will have the most points tonight? I'm going to go with Connor Harding, Jerem. Who do you have? Who is Caleb Lunar? <laughs> Okay. This is going to go really fast. What is This is kind of entertaining. Prop pick two. Which BYU bench player will have the highest field goal percentage? Which BYU bench player will have the highest field goal percentage with a minimum of three attempts? Okay. Uh, This Richard Harward is going to do it tonight. Who is Caleb Loner? <laughs> You've got this will be the least amount of words I say on this show. <laughs> Last one. What will be BYU's margin of victory? As always, closest without going over. Ooh. I'm going to go 19 points, Jerem. What is 17? <laughs> 17 plus? What is what 17 are, plus? What are 17? <laughs> The Jeopardy answer. You can't say anything else. What? <laughs> I haven't heard you this quiet on the show in maybe forever. <laughs> Let's, uh, Jerem, get to our prop picks. Presented by Tim Daly Ford, part of the Tim Daly Auto Group, serving Utah since 1968. Recapping last night, BYU's dominant performance against Portland... Number one was asked, which BYU bench player will have the most points? I said it would be Connor Harding. He had nine. You went with our deep blue feature, Caleb Lohner, who also had nine. Richard Harward was the correct answer with 12 points. He came back in the game after the injured wrist or elbow and was pretty good. Uh, Mark Pope actually kind of held his hand for a moment, and I thought, is Mark using his med school knowledge to assess him for a moment? Why is he holding his hand? It was his Miyagi moment. Exactly. Nice. Cobra Kai. Just finished season three over the week. Woo! Uh, which BYU bench player will have the highest field goal percentage? Minimum three attempts. Uh, I said Caleb Lohner, four of six, 67%. He 
You said uh, Richard Harward. He was five and five for 100. Let's go, Big Rich. So, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, Richard Harward won. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to beat 100. percent Indeed. <laughs> Number three. What will be the BYU margin of victory? As always, closest without going over. We both undershot this pick. I had BYU by 19. You had the 17 plus angle. BYU won by 28. So technically, I win, but I still feel like I was kind of a long way away. So that one feels cheap, but it's 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 a cheap win. Take wins. Man. So that's a two to nothing lead, but that yep. doesn't mean it's over. Let's go. 2-0 going well, into prob- the Pepperdine probably, game. Probably, but let's pick anyway. Okay, Ben, what have you uh, manufactured up for us today in the prop picks for Pepperdine? Well, we'll start the first prop pick with our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. BYU's 28 assists against Portland were two more than they had the three previous games. Wow. Yep. So, how many assists will BYU have total against Pepperdine? Closest to without going over. BYU averages 17, but I like what they were coming off of against Portland, so I'm going to say 20. I go 18, just right above that. Ooh, okay. All right. All right, prop pick number two. Which combination will result in more combined points? Kessler, Edwards, and Colby Ross, or Alex Barcelo and Matt Harms? I hope it's the BYU tandem, but I think it's going to be Kessler, Edwards, and Colby Ross. I was wondering if Elder Kessler from Saturday's Warrior would be an option. He is not. Uh, But I'm going with Matt Harms and Alex Barcelo. I think Harms found something last night that perhaps he'll uh, uh, take to Pepperdine or Provo against Pepperdine Saturday. Nice pull from Saturday to glory. Oh, I'm all about it, man. Where are these children coming down? That's who we were actually talking about in this conversation. (laughs) Number three. All right, BYU shot 57% from the field against Portland or shooting 47% for the the season against Pepperdine. Will the Cougars shoot more or less than their season average of 47%? Good vibes only. Some relaxed blue goggles on here. BYU's going to shoot better than 47% their season average. So I'm going over here, Ben. I'm going a little less. So 45, 46%, something like that. The funny thing is, they still win those games, right? Like, yeah. They don't shoot the ball, but they still win yeah. because of toughness, as uh, Greg Rebell said of this team. Okay, those are your prop picks for Pepperdine. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. When a problem comes along, you must whip it. The Cougar Whip Ramp presented by Visible Supply Chain Management, tackling America's most challenging shipping problems. Joe Lenardi as BYU as a nine seed. Jerry Brackets. <laughs> Jerry Brackets. Jerry Palm wants to be Jerry Brackets. Uh, has BYU as a 10 seed. How much higher can the Cougars climb? If BYU does what Ken Palm is projecting they will do, favored in the next 11 games, and they win 14 straight, BYU will be as high as a six seed at that juncture. And then, depending on what they look like against Gonzaga, they might drop down a little bit. But, Jim, realistically, I think the ceiling for BYU is a six seed based on how their schedule shakes out. I agree. If BYU beats everybody... Until uh, and through the West Coast Conference Tournament, BYU would be 24-5 and five on Selection Sunday. I'm thinking 23-6 and six is a serious thing that could happen. 22-7, and seven, BYU would still probably be in at that point. But 24-5 uh, and five would be unbelievable. Worthy of a six seed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just don't be 8-9. <laughs> 
How about this comparison last night? Avery Johnson, who I love, is a great personality. Avery Johnson. Yes. He was the uh, commentator joining uh, our boy Carter Blackburn. Carter Blackburn, thank you, last night on CBS Sports. Avery Johnson compared Alex Barcelo to John Stockton last night. Is that a fair comparison? Uh, yeah. I, I, is Alex Barcelo going to be John Stockton? No. But what Alex does is he's kind of a, you know an undersized guard, a 6'1 or 2, uh, leader, focused, extremely stout, respected. Tough, good shooter. Good shooter, good yep. Passer. Defender. Yeah, I see it from that perspective. Chest hair, same deal. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I first heard <laughs> it, I thought, wow, that's quite the compliment. Maybe a stretch. But like you, I thought yeah. about it some more. And, well, he's a good passer. He never really turns the ball over. His assist-to-turnover ratio is awesome. He's a better rebounder than John Stockton. and He's, he's a better interviewer than John Stockton. <laughs> he went to BYU, not Gonzaga. <laughs> and he's uh, just as good, if not a better, college shooter than John Stockton was. So I, I think that's fair. Yeah. Pepperdine's Kessler Edwards is averaging 19.6 rebounds a game. Will BYU hold him under his averages for night? I think Kessler Edwards is going to shoot the ball a lot. So I don't think BYU will hold who I think is an NBA guy, under his average. It's like 19 points, I expect him to hit that mark. Yeah, I think he'll hit 20-plus. Last night he had 37 points, 11 rebounds, and hit six of nine threes. Woo! You think he's confident coming into the BYU games because they're going to play Pepperdine back-to-back? Woo! Yeah, it's a two-game series. Winner advances to the West Coast Conference second-round tournament. <laughs> it's automatic. Maybe Pepperdine is making their push to be the third-best West Coast Conference team because it feels like the race for number three is wide open. San Francisco. A.K.A. the NIT. St. Mary's held on against Loyola Marymount last night. Pacific lost, as we mentioned, to Pepperdine bad. Is Santa Clara that team? Who's the third-best team in the West Coast Conference? Is there one? <laughs> Pepperdine, probably. It's weird that it's not St. Mary's. They did have to play Gonzaga and BYU already. But BYU had to play Gonzaga and St. Mary's and San Francisco all on the road. So no sympathy here. Probably Pepperdine. But I don't – none of the – like, there's no NIT team from the league right now. You maybe San Francisco? May, maybe San Francisco. There's maybe St. Mary's. Yeah, probably. But it's the NIT, whatever. So I, I'm going to qualify yeah, this you're a right, bit. you're right. With Alex Dukas in the lineup – it's St. Mary's, but he's not playing because he's injured. If and BYU when has a starter out, if Devin and Max when is. Alex Dukas gets back, then he will be he will make St. Mary's the third best team in the league. But it doesn't mean they'll be a tournament team. No, yeah, they're not a tourney team this year to me. They've they've got to change things quite a bit. I just want St. Mary's to finish in the top seventy-five because guess what? Yep. Right now, San Francisco sixty-eight, St. Mary's seventy-six. <laughs> For the moment, BYU almost has four quadrant one victories. That'd be awesome, right? Okay, twelve and three overall. Is this the best BYU team through fifteen games in the Cougars West Coast Conference history? Oh, I still think last year's team is a little bit better. The record is the strongest argument for this team based on what they've done on the road to open up conference play, right? But I still give the edge to last year's TJ Haas, Jake Toulson, Yoli Childs team as the best through 15 games. Uh, yeah, and they they had a, they were 11-4. They played nine without Yoli Childs, too. Yeah, those were all non-conference um, Yeah, going in. So, and th- yeah, I, I don't think this year's is. But what last year's team did was be the best West Coast Conference team, period, 13-3. Uh, and three. This team could equal that. They really could. If they don't, li- if, if they don't lose a, you know, another non-Gonzaga game, 
Like I said, there were two losses only. You're going to go 14 and two. That'd be incredible. 13 and three. I think BYU could equal that. 14 and two, and still lose the league by two games. <laughs> I'm okay losing the league. I really That's am. Constant. I'm like completely comfortable with conceding to the number one team in the country. Why wouldn't you? Be? I am 100 percent fine. No, with we need to challenge a champion in the West Coast. If Conference. BYU is in the ACC, would it be like no? We need to challenge every year. Duke this year. Duke stinks, but Duke. It's like no. Come on. Under the NFL, big playoff weekend ahead for several former Cougars with their respective NFL teams. I ask this question, Jerem. Will there be more Jamal Williams touchdowns or Dirty Dan interceptions this weekend? I wish we did takeaways because Daniel Sorensen forced a fumble last week. Okay, let's, do, so let's if, change if we it did, on the fly. If takeaways. we did takeaways, then it's, I think it's Daniel Sorensen because in the red zone, uh, you know, Jamal's not getting the ball a ton, and Aaron Rodgers is throwing it a lot. I love that the, the Kansas City Chiefs social media team is pushing Daniel Sorensen to be more active on social media. Good luck with that. Sending out tweets. No, like, but it, whenever he does send out a tweet, it's usually very clever. Uh, I think the uh, the tweet he sent out was the picture of him making the tackle at the goal line, just saying uh, access denied or something like yeah. that. And I was like, yeah, Listen, Daniel. People, people love Daniel Sorensen because he's relatable. He looks like them. You know what I mean? He looks yeah. like, a, but like he's a freak athlete. He's been an undrafted free agent in the NFL for a long time. Like he's been unbelievable in the NFL. It's he said awesome. he wanted to be Eric Weddle, and yeah. uh, he's making a case to do that, Jerem. Like, like he's he's not quite there, but he's trended really well. Yes, yeah. I mean he's got to get to some Pro Bowls. Eric was an all timer, right? But Daniel didn't have to do anything more to have had an awesome career. Honestly, Incredible. if he did nothing yeah. more, it would have been amazing. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. BYU basketball halfway home to what they hope is a warm homecoming return to the NCAA tournament for the first time in six years. Jerem, to celebrate the midway point, today we present the always prestigious BYU Sports Nation Midseason Hoops Awards. Today's show features an A-list celebrity appearance lineup, including, of course, Jerem Jordan, Cosmo the Cougar, the Deli Gnome, Spuddy Buddy, and I'm your host, Spencer Linton. In non-typical award show fashion. That's A-list. Yeah. That's Cosmo. I don't know. Jerem, we do things a little differently here in Studio B, obviously. Yeah, it's not Studio A, it's B. We're going to begin with the biggest award first and yeah. make nobody wait for the big announcement. Oh, don't bury the lead. The first category of the day is victory of the year, and the winner is San Diego State. Mm. BYU wins at Viejas Arena in front of a cardboard show, but do so in dramatic fashion as an underdog. BYU's got a number of solid wins, all on the road for that matter, Jaron, but we all were kind of shocked by this one just because of how well BYU played for most of the game. They were up double figures on San Diego State for a majority of the game. And won by double figures, which is crazy. Closed out really well. Uh, San Diego State was ranked 18th, um, was undefeated at the time, I believe. So this was a huge win. The reason that Utah State isn't, because Utah State, San Diego State's off the bubble right now, or on the bubble just out. Utah State's firmly in, in fact, better than BYU at the moment, is because... We expect to beat Utah State. BYU's won. Wait for it. 
nine in a row oh, against Utah oh, State. Ten is coming. Let's go. St. Mary's could be argued as the best, just the second win ever in Moraga. But uh, San Diego State takes the cake because when you beat a ranked team on the road, and I know since then it hasn't worked out, that's a big win. So that's that's probably the uh, the victory of the year. There you go. A non-conference win on the road against a ranked opponent. And a rivalry at that. That's a, that's. I, I would argue that's BYU's, what, third biggest rival in basketball? Yes. I'll go Utah, Utah State, San Diego State. Is that fair? St. Mary's. Oh, St. Mary's. Mm, so probably fourth. Fourth. Because, well, Gonzaga's in the t- Okay, it's in the top five. We slid down. <laughs> Talk it out. Yeah. It's nice that we have multiple options here, Jerem. There, there are like five teams that I think are rivals in basketball. In football, I can only say that about uh, Utah, Utah State, and Boise State. At the, half, at the halfway point, BYU has three wins in the victory of the year conversation. That's yeah. nice. Well, and That's you nice. know what we didn't even mention? Utah by 18. I'm telling you, when you blow a fool out, you forget because you're like, well, there was no drama there. We'll we'll get to that later. Like with Boise State and football, we kind of forget because it wasn't a classic. It was a classic blowout. That's what it was. Okay, one award down. On to the next one. The the play of the year, Mm -hmm. and the winner is... Brandon Averett's three-pointer against San Diego State. Has to be. Now, this wasn't the game-winning... Point or shot felt like, but it. it it felt like it, yeah. Fifty two seconds left. It made it sixty six sixty two. San Diego State didn't score after this. They had rallied. I mean, they had furiously rallied from down like fifteen. Yeah, and, and this gave BYU some presence. Shot clock kind of winding down there. Twelve on the shot clock. Bang. So uh, shot of the year. Alex Barcelos or play of the year. Alex Barcelos clinching free throws at Utah State. Up one. Connor Harding throws that length of the court inbounds pass. Alex catches it, gets fouled, makes it a three point game. Utah State misses. Um, it wasn't again. It wasn't the game winning shot. Game clinching. But those were notable as well. Yeah, it's interesting. As you know, and I want to touch lightly again on the victory of the year. The most valued win of the year right now is probably Utah State. But the yes. way that San Diego State happened. And because of we, Brandon Averett's heroics yes. and the play of the year, all we, that adds we to We dismiss it. Utah State because it's Utah State, <laughs> right? It, it, but we should value that. Yeah, we're talking it through. Hey, okay. AB's done some other things really well, too, Jerem. Yes, yes. You know, uh, and we need to include uh, the best use of steps in a haircut award for Alex Barcelo here. Um, and uh, just best shooter, over, best shooter overall, man. Who's which brings that? us to the next award, which is player of the year. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And the winner is, you gave it away, it's Alex Marcello because yeah. it's so obvious. It's yeah. so obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah, best shooter, steps in the hair, player of the year. Listen, there was a play at St. Mary's that really um, accentuated this point. Alex Marcello got fouled under the basket, and all four players ran over, ran over to help him up. If I fell over, no one would help me. Oh, you know what I mean? Don't, don't sell yourself short like that. You're right. Maybe one guy from the other team. But all four... <laughs> Of his teammates helped him up. That told me everything I need to know about what kind of teammate he is and what kind of leader. It was great. He's like he he's been incredible. You know the one eighty thing we talk about it field goal three point free throw percentage one eighty. If you're above uh-huh. one eighty, you're like an elite. Was the Jake Toulson thing last is that year? One ninety three. Yeah, I have. How <laughs> what? It's pretty good. What? Uh, he has more rebounds than Matt Harms per game. By the way, four point three third on the team leads the team in scoring assists, threes, shots made, minutes. I would say he's the best player. Yes, I can hear Mark Pope right now. This Alex Barcelo, this, he's what? the coach on the floor. I don't even need to do anything anymore. Why is my voice so high? When Mark gets excited, his voice goes up here. 
Yeah, That's I am exactly serious. right. I am serious. Okay, next up, the second best player on the team award this goes to Brandon Avery. Okay, this was a hard one. Yeah, there was some debate, uh, but we go with BA here. I could see Matt Harms as the other uh, potential second best player here. I think because Brandon has been big shot, Brandon, and in has two been big so games. clutch in two enormous San Diego games. State, St. Mary's. That gives him yeah. the edge. Yeah. Clearly, Alex Barcelo is the guy. Yeah. Are you serious? <laughs> yes, I am serious about Alex like Barcelo. Dickie v or something. But Brandon Averett, because of the clutch scenarios, that gives yeah. him the edge in this award. Yes, he also wins best rebound off your own block shot and put back at the end of the shot clock in a big road win. Okay. Uh, longest hair and uh-huh. co-best Utah Valley transfer. <laughs> so congratulations. He's third in scoring on the team, second in assists, leads the team in steals, second in three-point makes, and number one in clutch shots and big road games. So okay. Brandon Averett, how about that? Not to be confused with Brandon Averett. The ABBA backcourt <laughs> dominating the awards here early. Yes. Now, I want to ask Mark if it re- are we supposed we're, to wrap it up? We're off because we need to go to the, the next category. category. I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm still going. <laughs> Shout out Give to all of back. Brandon's family in Texas. I want to thank Brandon Everett's family. <laughs> okay, we get it. We get it. On to the next award. The Surprise Player of the Year. And the winner is... Caleb Loader, oh, okay. Mr. Hercules, Bill S. Preston Esquire. He is the surprise player of the year. Socrates? Socrates, yeah. He also wins best celebrity doppelganger, uh-huh. best hair, uh-huh. best wardrobe, uh-huh. best transfer from Utah. Oh, he's sweet. So he it, is sweeping through these awards. Yes, he is. Uh, off the bench as a freshman, he started four games, leading the team in rebounding. Not to mention he missed his first million threes. He's now 6 of 28, so uh, 21% overall. But since then, he's been like a 30-ish percent. Th- he's getting that shooter. swagger. His three-point shot and the struggles early remind me of what Yoli Childs went through early as a freshman and sophomore. But yeah. it got better, and yeah. I, I expect Caleb Lohner's percentage to get better. BYU beats Utah State in part because Caleb goes 3 of 4. Well, and he's thrust into the spotlight because Gavin Baxter's not playing. Yeah, because he's hurt. Yeah. There you go. It wasn't like Gavin was like, no. Nah, right, right, right. Caleb Lohner, the surprise yes. player of the year. Surprise! True freshman. Like burst out of a box from Utah. It's like, what's this from up on the hill? Uh, okay, next award. The best grad transfer slash foreign player. Mm. A lot of options on this one. Matt Harms. Congratulations. Uh, in the BYSN Matt's Matt. Hoops Midseason Awards. Matt's been awesome. Like, massive get for BYU in April. So great to have him. He impacts the way that BYU plays defense. He has 16 more block shots than anybody else on the team. How about that? Okay, 22, He and then he affects a lot, like you said. It's been awesome. And the way that BYU's been able to play defense, and BYU doesn't have the same offense. BYU's not the same offense as last year, but BYU's an equal to or better defense than last year because of Matt Harms. Defense travels. That's why they're winning big games on the road in ugly travels, fashion. Whenever you say travels, I think of like a traveling violation. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> defense travels. Defense travels. Oh, shoot. But it's totally legal WCC in this instance. All right, on to the next award. This is the last one. Hype Man of the Year, and the winner is Big Rich, Richard Harward, who took a wealth of awards as well, Jerem. Not only is he the greatest hype man, he's the offensive rebounder of the halfway point. Worst facial hair transition. I've missed his mustache. I really do. Best forearm tattoo. (laughs) 
ends probably because there's so many. The of all the best, spots, I'm not getting it on the forum. <laughs> probably the best interview of the year based on uh, what you encountered at the scrimmage early this season. Big and scary, boys. Hey. BYU basketball is best because we have the best locker room in America. We're all big, mean, lean, shot-making machines. Yeah! <laughs> big, lean, I, mean, shot-making machines. I didn't even ask a question. He literally just walked over the mic, said that, and walked away, and I was like, okay, all right. Thanks, Rich. I, I love it. So there you go. No one else will bring you the midseason awards. I just want you to know that. That's a, that's a BYUSN exclusive today. It's I don't see anybody else doing that. Been our pleasure to present. Go ahead and, Always prestigious. Go ahead and try, Ben. BYU Sports Friddle. Nation midseason basketball. Don't even, don't even try, bro. Come on, man. Do you have a favorite award that was gifted out tonight, Jeremy? Uh, probably worst facial hair transition okay. or best forearm tattoo. Okay, mine is best transfer from Utah. I think that is <laughs> just a winner. <laughs> that is an absolute. It didn't go winner. to Booth Guys. <laughs> we inch closer to March Madness day by day, so let's do our daily resume update. We're at the point now where we can do this every day. So let's talk, like you mentioned, net 29. That's up five last yep. night. Thank you, San Francisco. Ken Palm, 48, plus four. So mm-hmm. BYU now into the top 50. BPI, 38. That's plus four from last Woo. night. Sagarin, 25, plus three. 25. A lot of people gauge the Sagarin ratings as, you know, one of the more prominent ones. Like they, they Well, give there's a six lot of, prominent ones. A lot of credence the to the Sagarin ratings. Yeah. Yeah. The attorney, yeah, attorney says there are six that matter, okay? And I'm listing those six. ESPN strength of record, 16 plus five. And KPI, 17 plus six. Oof. So BYU is from 17 to 48. But the, the mean <laughs> there is like in the low 30s. The That's, irony here is it happened after Portland, Jerem. <laughs> yeah. Your strength of schedule went down quite a bit last night. Like in one metric, it was down 16. Uh, but bracketology, as you're saying. So Lenardi's bracket, 10 seed. Palm, Jerry Palm, 10 seed. Bracket matrix, nine. So things are going well. Things are going really well. Just avoid the 8-9. BYU's got to be really good to get to like a 6-7 spot, and they have to probably just kind of maintain to be a 10. But there's an opportunity for BYU to make this nice run down the stretch if they can avoid non-Gonzaga uh, you know, losses. I, listen, I, I think BYU's going to lose somewhere, uh, but I, I don't know where outside of Gonzaga. Um, I think there's going to be one game where something, a Boise State happens. Granted, Boise State's pretty good, actually, this year. Top so, 20. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I I'm not sure BYU's going to rip off like the next 11 before Gonzaga, but maybe. They might. That's the thing. They might. And the trend is fantastic, but the one thing that I wish I knew compared to last year is that BYU had a guy other than Alex Barcelo that could just take over the game. We knew that if Yoli Childs wasn't playing well, that's okay because – Jake Toulson can go off. Yoli wasn't relied on every moment. It was sort of this uh, triumvirate, right? Yeah, or if Jake Toulson's not shooting well, that's eh, okay. TJ Haas can take the game over, and then Yoli's going to be solid. Like, we always knew or felt we knew that more than likely two of the three would show up, and if two of the three showed up, then BYU would win the game. Yeah. That's how it worked. This year it's like, uh, okay. Oh, let's, who's gonna make a let's, shot? Let's, who's gonna make? Yeah, who's gonna I, take the big shot late first, and who's gonna make it? I do have a concern for BYU basketball right now, even though things are going really well. BYU does need more consistent three point shooting from a couple individuals. Like, who's it gonna be game to game? BYU's not reliant on the three point shot, but the, you do have to make threes. So Trevin Nell made three. That's good. He's in the starting lineup for the third game in a row. 
Connor Harding knocked down a couple. Yep, that was good. Uh, Gideon George. I, I'm fine at, even if it's the collective. I just need the team to continue to shoot it well. Bureau's the second-best three-point shooting team in the league. You can guess who's first. But I would like that to continue because there's going to be games where it's going to be tough on the inside, although that's BYU's biggest competitive advantage right now is the physicality, the rebounding, the defense, the length inside. Two-point field goal percentage. Matt Harms. Yes, the two-point field goal percentage is so good. Let's that quantify it. 55%. So good. 34th in the country. I would argue that's what BYU does best of all the metrics. Okay, so I feel that's like, probably hey, what BYU does if best. BYU shoots 35% as a team from the three-point line. They're about that, yeah. If they keep doing that and... 55% from all two-point field goals? Who's going to beat BYU exactly. besides Gonzaga? Exactly. They're going to win, the, win weird, the majority of the game. I just think it'll be a weird game. Um, I don't always know is. when. Yeah, it, like it's sports. It happens. Everybody plays a weird game. I don't care how good you are. You know. There always is. In fact, it might be against Pepperdine tomorrow. We don't know. It might be at Pepperdine following. So Pe- Pepperdine beat Pacific, like pounds them last night, which was shocking because Pacific was 5-1 and, and and kind of like sneaky. at the- 2-0 in the conference at that point. And Pepperdine had str- has struggled uh, this year, yet they have this two-man game with Kessler Edwards and Colby Ross, which is interesting. So Saturday's the game. Keep, keep an eye on yeah. BYU's got to bring it. Now Pepperdine all of a sudden has jumped like 50 spots in the net rankings in the last few games, and are they formidable? Like, it, Is this now a tough game for BYU to win, not just at home, but in Malibu when you play them back-to-back? Ken Palm, 84% and 72%. Okay. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. This time that we pick up our conversation with former BYU tight end. It's weird to say that because it feels like he's been here forever. Matt Bushman, as he prepares for an NFL career, joined us recently on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Matt, first and foremost, let us congratulate you on an outstanding BYU career. Obviously, we would have loved to see you play some more of your senior season, but uh, you have done amazing things uh, while you've been waiting for this, including starting a nonprofit, which uh, was announced uh, just a couple of days ago. So let's start there. Why did you feel like you wanted to get into uh, the nonprofit game and look for opportunities to help kids get into sports programs? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, So I think after my freshman season, I was watching this, this video about JJ Watts foundation and how he started something in college with just like his family members and I was like, oh, no way, that's super cool. And I wanted to I wanted to figure that out, but kind of as I dove into that process, I was like, okay, all the legal work and paperwork is super confusing. Um, but I was still motivated to figure it out, so I just kept trying to chip away at it, and finally we just kind of found the right friends and family that had the skills to help start this nonprofit. And, yeah, during the quarantine and after I got hurt, we were like, shoot, look, we might as well announce it and get going so we can have some projects started before the draft and everything so and kind of while i'm i guess still relevant in utah so (laughs) uh, so uh yeah we're just going to try to help people kids have sports opportunities in in any way so some ideas were helping kids pay like the initial fees to play on sports teams like there are kids whose parents just can't can't afford that so just kind of helping them get started and then if there are also teams that need like new uniforms or just new gear, new equipment, 
uh, we want to, we kind of want to jump into that and figure out how we can help in that way. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, obviously uh, we love sports and uh, we know what kind of impact it can have on uh, communities and individuals. So that's great, man. Um, certainly uh, not unexpected for you to bounce, but uh, I didn't know until I saw your beard that you were officially gone from BYU. <laughs> no, I kid. Um, what went into the decision to uh, not come back to BYU? COVID year could have done it, but at this point uh, you chose to uh, try and go to the NFL. Yeah. Um... So even in my junior year, I was super motivated, like, wow, I, I have the chance to go to the NFL. And it was super tough for me and my family to make that decision to come back. But at the end of the day, we felt kind of prompted and felt like it was right to come back for my senior year. And I had so much planned where I was going to be like the top, the top tight end in the country. I had all these goals to, to really be the best in the country. And obviously when I hurt my Achilles, it was kind of easy to question like, dang, what if I would have just declared after my junior year, everything would have been fine. But I don't know. I know God has a a plan for me and I know that's what needed to happen, I guess. But, um, after I got hurt, I just, I just knew it was time. Like I, the, the work that I put in going into that season, I knew how good, if I were healthy, how good of a season it could have been for, not only myself and just seeing how the team did so well, I, I think I could have been a, an extra addition to that, but yeah, it just felt right. It felt right for me to move on. I loved everything at BYU and everything that the university did for me, but at the end of the day, um, it just felt like it was, it was my time to give it a shot in the NFL and we'll see how, we'll see what happens. Matt, where are you right now in the recovery process of coming back from that Achilles injury? Yeah. So I'm about four and a half months out. Um, Dr. Fox was my doctor and he said it usually takes about six months um, to be cleared from the injury. So I'm hoping I was, I was hoping right around when the combine was supposed to happen that I would uh, hopefully feel pretty good, but I I don't know how much I was going to do there just because I haven't been able to really work on my technique just because I'm, I'm rehabbing so much. So the plan and what I hope for is to be to be good by pro day, but I'm not going to like rush anything or force bad times to like be with my name at the end of the day. So um, I should be good by pro day. And so that's kind of end of March. And I should be feeling really good by then. But yeah, I'm just going to take it day by day and make the best decision for me. What we don't talk about in this whole process, we always talk about like your injury and your body. What we don't talk about is like the mental health aspect and, and the anxiety and even depression that can come with. You're at a certain level, right? And you're being talked about as an NFL tight end. And then you get an injury, and then the fear is that you kind of get lost in the shuffle, right? So how is that emotionally for you as you try and remind people, hey, I'm here, I can be an NFL tight end, I'm an NFL tight end? Yeah, it's definitely weird, just kind of the fear of the unknown and even like, whoa, what, what happens if my Achilles isn't as explosive as it was before? But uh, I don't know. I just try not to think like that too much. You just kind of your thoughts kind of attract your, uh, your mentality, your personality. So I, I'm, I try to stay positive. And the more positive I think, the, the, the harder I can work and the, the more rehab I can do to stay focused on the process instead of the outcome. Um, so that's been big for me, just, yeah, focusing on the process and how I'm going to come back and how I'm going to be even better than I was before instead of I need to be like, yeah, just, just worrying about the what ifs just because a lot of times that just like, like you said, that causes kind of that mental funk where there's the anxieties and depressions. But yeah, I mean, I feel really good. Um, it's been a dream of mine to, to play in the NFL and I'm, I'm super confident that I can come back and, and, and make an impact on or for whatever team I, I get, 
I get called to. So, I mean, my, my mentality has been good. Having my daughter is definitely a, a good thing to have just during this time. Cause I've been able to not focus on myself and just learn to rely on my wife and, and focus on my daughter more than myself. So that's been very beneficial also. You're a very busy man. Andy's now four months old. Uh, no question. Uh, you're in it right now as far as parenting goes and the games involved there. But Matt, as uh, you push forward, what are you hearing from the NFL scouts and from your agent that they want to see because of your Achilles injury? What are they going to be looking for on Pro Day? Yeah, so from what I've heard and what I've talked, it's, there's so much unknown and no one really knows where you're like truly projected in the in the mock drafts and everything. So I'm not focusing on kind of what my grade is or where I'm, where I'm slotted right now that that's just all going to depend on draft day and whatever goes on. So from what, from what the scouts say, what my agents say is truly the, like they understand that an Achilles injury is a pretty tough injury to come back from. So even if I don't feel comfortable running, I don't know, my 40 or my three cone drill, um, they mostly just want to see that I can run routes and, and be able to block. So they want to see my range of motion and my stance and getting in and out of breaks more than the the specific pro day drills that go on. So that's, uh, I mean, all that stuff, if I feel super good, that'll be a bonus at pro day, but yeah, I, I definitely want to show that I'm, I'm good enough to, to play football again. Cause that's at the end of the day, that's what matters. You can certainly be a player in the NFL if you're undrafted. Half the league is. You can certainly be a tight end that catches a game-winning touchdown pass in the NFC Championship game and have a Liz Frank in the moment, like what your father-in-law, Chad Lewis. So you certainly have an example there. What has he said to you in this process of, listen, I was undrafted. I played in the league. Like, you can still do this. I had an injury, came back, was still a good tight end. How has that motivated you or affected you? Yeah, it just kind of shows that whatever happens on draft day or after draft day, like – anything's possible and it's not I mean you might the higher you get drafted the more opportunities you kind of have to mess up in camp and um they have a little bit more attachment to you but that just shows if you're if your mind's right and you're feeling good like anything can happen and it doesn't matter um truly what 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 happens on draft day it's what happens when you're on the football field again so uh, I'm not too worried about the draft process I'm just focusing on how I can be my best on the football field again. Former BYU tight end Matt Bushman with us on BYU Sports Nation. Isaac Rex said that the day you hurt your Achilles was one of the, if not the saddest day of his life. He then proceeded to score 12 touchdowns and had 89 written on his uh, arm all year. What did that mean to you to see him go out and perform so well while repping your 89? Yeah, it always felt good when I was either at the games or watching the games to see 89 on his arm and the other tight end's arms, uh, just kind of one of those feel good things. But um, also like it was just in fall camp and seeing Isaac's uh, improvements as after his freshman year and going into this year, um, it was, it was super cool to see that. And I know when you, when your name gets called in kind of a, a random situation like that after an injury a week before a game, it is kind of stressful. And, um, but it was just cool to see how he rallied and, and, kept composure and got better as the season went on. Um, I think that's the most important thing is to improve season to season or week to week. And I, and he did that and his role really developed later on in the season. So that was cool to see um, just the tight ends get, get that much love. So if so. you're, if you're honey hands, is he money hands? He needs a nickname. 
I guess so. It's whatever the people, <laughs> whatever the people call them. I mean, I didn't, I didn't give myself that nickname. So, uh, it's whatever, if you want to call him money hands, that's, that's him. I think he's the Romney cleaner upper gunner would get it to the two. And then I could score the touchdown. <laughs> it was yeah. crazy. So Matt, would you have had 15 touchdown catches then this year if Isaac had 12? I guess there's too much unknown right there. Because... <laughs> I put the over under 13 and a half myself, but yeah, no, it, it would have been crazy. And was it? I mean, obviously it was hard, but how hard was it watching the season that BYU had and the opportunity that BYU had when when it was like, oh. That was an incredible experience, and you were part of the team. You participated in the black uniforms reveal, and you were on the sideline and whatnot, and you tried to inject yourself, but it's not the same when you're not playing, right? So what was that experience like for you as you rejoiced with them, but I'm sure it was difficult for you? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely tough. Like, when I was going through the deciding process to stay for my senior year, it was talking to Coach Roderick and hearing him say how much they're going to focus on the tight end, more in the red zone, like like Isaac was able to show, and um, how are there, it was going to be more of a focal point, and that was true in fall camp. Um, so yeah, it was definitely hard because that that was like a main reason why I wanted to what I wanted to prove and how I wanted to boost my stock going into the NFL draft. So yeah, it, like watching the games, and obviously I was so pumped to see the um, success of the team. But I that's that's what you want as a player, like four, nine, seven, and six, seven, and six. Those aren't very fun seasons. They don't feel, they don't like sit very well. You want a, a, a winning season and the chance to be in a New Year's six bowl. So it was definitely tough not being out there, but I was, I was excited for the team for sure. Matt, if you were going to make a pitch to all 32 NFL teams uh, via zoom conversation, what would that sound like right now? Um, I'd say I have the best hands in the country, in my opinion. Honey hands! consistent. And I'd also say that my Achilles is I'm on track. I'm ahead of schedule and um, I'm feeling good. So just, just keep me in your, keep me in your mind. Keep me on the notepad. I like confident Matt Bushman. We, we need this more. Just gotta, you gotta stay confident. You can't be, can't be cocky about it, but you gotta be confident. Absolutely. Let's give you some BYU Sports Nation karma for your recovery as you prepare for pro day and uh, hopefully a call to the NFL. Um, Matt, Again, congratulations on an amazing career at BYU. It's great to catch up with you, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Matt Bushman on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. Apparently, he didn't like my confidence quip, but he's a good sport and didn't ultimately leave me hanging. Maybe the Zoom delayed. Who knows? We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. You know, Caleb Lohner can be described a lot of ways, but let's just do this. He's a fun-loving adrenaline junkie, and he's found a home at BYU. This deep blue feature with Caleb Lohner, presented by America First Credit Union, we're here to help. This is Christmas morning for you guys, I kid you not. Super active, independent, stubborn kid. <laughs> Caleb Lohner is this six foot, eight and a half, 235 pound specimen. I think anything where he feels like he can get a little bit of a thrill, he's game for it. <laughs> and he'll get, just kind of migrate to it. I don't know who he is. Body of a Greek guy that looks like it was just chiseled, right? 
He's like a surfer dude, but he's like the hardest worker and most diligent guy I've had in the gym. He's like this incredibly honest, self-introspective young man that is like the quickest dude to laugh and joke and smile. He's like the swaggiest dude ever. I would describe my sense of fashion as very spontaneous. I think fashion kind of helps separate you in um, certain situations. And I think being a basketball player, it's cool to kind of have your own swag. So that's been fun. He'll get up in the morning, he'll train, and he'll, tra he'll train as much as anyone. He probably does. And he'll work as hard as anybody. But then he'll also go have a great time. I saw a video of him recently where his buddy was driving a dirt bike and so he laid his body down behind the jump and he had to jump over I'm like what are we doing coming from Texas I was going to a public school really big public school and there just started to become this question of whether I really liked playing basketball and I think it was this mental battle that kind of came across throughout all these different other trials and things that were going on in my life and I just started to lose focus of what was really important to me. And I don't know if it was just all the pressure that was getting to him. Plus, just he was so committed for so long and doing it so often, right? I think it warned him. I think he got tired. And the more I kind of figured out what that was, the more I realized that I needed a change. So I decided to go to Wasatch Academy um, to kind of start fresh, start new. And after being at Wasatch, I just kind of had this new spark, this being around new guys, playing at a higher level of basketball. This, we were a really good team. Um, it kind of brought back some of that like emotion of the love of the game that I have. And so the more I played, the more we went through that year, I just, it was back. Like it just kind of clicked. I don't know when and where, but one day I woke up and like all of my love was back and I knew hey this is something I want to do sometimes when you hear of somebody that's like I don't know how much do I love basketball how much do I want to play basketball do you wonder if they're really committed and he's the exact opposite like he stays on this floor with coach Burgess for at least a half an hour after every single practice during the whole summer you know, I had to roll, but sometimes in the office really later, I got to roll back at 11 or midnight to grab something or do something because something's driving me crazy. And there's Caleb Lohner in the gym by himself getting up shots. Lohner on the steal. Out ahead of everybody. Trouble, baby. My goodness. That's what we've been waiting for. My goal here is to challenge myself academically, on the basketball court, and then really just to work as hard as I can and help this BOU basketball team win games. Coach Pope says this all the time. He says, what you give in to the team will come back like full fold. Sometimes when you get a heralded freshman, they think that they know everything or they think that they're better than everyone. Where Caleb's freshman mind is, coach, give it to me straight. Tell me how I can just be on the floor. What do I need to do? So I think understanding that basketball is more than a game, I think to everyone that means something different. But for me, I think basketball has just taught me so much that nothing else could have taught me. And I've already noticed all the things that my life has been blessed with through the game of basketball. So why not keep going and trying to get to the next level?
Deep Blue with Caleb Lohner. How do you not love that guy? He so, he seems like such a great hang. Like he seems so fun. Yes. So when we did the uh, practice broadcast, I I mentioned hey six eight two fifteen, and two fifteen was not his weight. It was it was listed a little light. So he came up to me after, and in the nicest way possible, he said, "Hey, do I look like I'm two fifteen? <laughs> he said, I, I'm 230. And I, so I said to the sports information director, I said, hey, so you know, Caleb, like in front of him, hey, so you know, Caleb's 230. He's, he is hilarious. Like, yeah, I, I knew fun. that he was next level when he walked out of the locker room after one of the early games this year with a cutoff jean shirt <laughs> and a hat on backwards. And I was like, spontaneous. It's a little right? bit different. Yeah. And I love it. Um, and he joked, he was uh, very self deprecating about fouling out. And then the next game I saw him, I was like, hey, you only had three fouls? He's like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so it was well documented at the beginning of the year. He struggled to shoot the three. started about 13. No one's really talked about this since, but he's 6 of 16, which is 38%. BYU's leading rebounder? And then he's the 73% free throw shooter. That tells you he's a good shooter from the free throw line, right? And, uh, yeah, leading rebounder, not just that, off the bench. He started <laughs> four games, but he's doing it off the bench. So – Right now, on this team with three seniors, he's a, he's a 6.7 rebound a game guy. He can improve his field goal percentage, 41. That's mainly because he missed those 13 threes at the beginning of the year. Otherwise, he'd be in the high 40s, low 50s. But uh, the Lone Ranger, I like that. Nice job. I, he, he's, a, he's a valuable asset. He was a big get for BYU. Oh. They wanted him. We're disappointed when they didn't when he signed with Utah, but then uh, transferred down here, and it's been great to have him. The excitement was real. I, every time BYU gets a big recruit or a transfer, I love the same uh, BYU basketball gift that comes out of the coaches waving Excited. a pom-pom yeah. and blowing a Which party horn. Which was from horn. when Yoli Child said he was coming <laughs> back. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Let's play What's the Chance? BYU Sports Nation asks... What's the chance? Presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event, Ben Bagley. Join the program, my friend. All right, we'll start here with some football. What's the chance? Zach Wilson is the second pick of the upcoming NFL draft. I go 50%. I just kind of sit in the middle because we've been listening to several mock drafts about that. I think maybe we've been ignoring perhaps the ones where he wasn't. But uh, I, there's a chance he's number two. If he's not two, he's going to be in the top five, man. I'm still a little bit lower on this. I say 30% because I think there's going to be some major wheeling and dealing by the New York Jets and really with uh, a number of the top eight picks. So I, I don't see Zach going to New York at number two. I think he's going to be a top five pick, but I just I don't feel like New York is going to be the fit for him, especially if they get Deshaun Watson. But well, I don't, of course if they don't. Does yeah. Houston then make Sam Darnold the future quarterback well, there? Yeah, Sam Darnold's coming back to the Jets, so... Maybe four to the Falcons is the spot. I don't know. I don't know. Speculation that CBS mock draft is that the Jets pick is a placeholder, but whoever goes there will take Zach Wilson. Mm. All right, number two. What's the chance BYU will have more than three, three players drafted? I think it's uh, – I'm more on the low end on this, like 25%. I hope BYU has like five. That would be amazing. But uh, it's definitely Zach uh, Wilson and Brady Christian. No doubters. Like, you're an idiot if you think otherwise. And then it's uh, whether it's Dax Milne, Kyrus Tonga, Matt Bushman, 
from there. I, I don't think Isaiah Kapusi gets drafted. That'd be fun. Troy Warner. Yeah, those guys won't probably won't be drafted. But if they are, fantastic. I'm 60%. I'm hoping that Matt Bushman has an unbelievable pro day and shows everyone he's healthy. Because if he does, I think that there is a team that might say, okay, we want we want that guy. Is it enough time from the injury? We want that guy. It's been like six or seven months. We'll see. Is that enough time? I don't know. Or individual workouts later. Yeah. I, I don't know. We'll see. But I, there's I, no NFL combine. And BYU would have had how many guys invited? Four, at least, five? At least the two. Yeah. I'm 60% there. Next. All right, let's switch to hoops for a second. What's the chance BYU hoops sweeps all non-St. <laughs> Zaga games this season? The non-St. Zaga. Um, so we're throwing St. Mary's in there. Um, I, I'm pretty high on this. I'm like 80%. I, I, I do see a loss in there somewhere. I, I think this BYU team's good. I, I don't think they're like win 12 in a row good. But I think, well, it'd be more than 12. BYU just won two in a row. It'd be like up to 14. I think BYU's going to lose a game in there. But it's there's a chance it happens. To do so, BYU's got to beat Pacific twice, including yeah. in Stockton in that dungeon of a gym. And it's always a little bit weird there. So The that color t- temperature is just off in there. Not enough, uh, you know, Kelvin degrees. And I... Typically, I'd be a little bit hesitant about BYU winning at San Diego, too, but San Diego's not good. No. They're just not good. So, Still, Portland's the only threat to me that's uh, not. 70% chance that BYU does this because I like their defense. Defense travels. You don't shoot the ball. Like, they beat San Francisco and St. Mary's not shooting the ball well. Yeah. Beat St. Mary's making 1-3. That's great. All right, next. next one. What's the chance the NCAA tournament is played as scheduled? Oh, I don't know, but I think it's pretty high. I would go like 94%. Yeah, 90, I'm in the 90s there. They're not going, they're going to get there, um, you know, as soon as they can, and then the first four aren't going to play until Thursday, and then everybody else, well, the other half, right, um, of the 64, the 32 will play on Saturday. BYU would be in a Saturday-Monday bracket, by the way. So I think it's pretty high. There's a billion dollars riding on this for the NCAA. Very, it'll happen. Very stringent. But will they protocols. have to delay it all? Is the question. So perhaps, but I, I think they'll figure it out. <laughs> and they're going to be in a, bu- they're going to create a bubble. Will all of the athletes be granted a vaccine by? <laughs> you qualify for the NCAA tournament. The NCAA say, hey, we'll pay extra so we can vaccinate all the players in the tournament. I'd be fine with that because what I really want to do is just sit down and watch these games. It's going to be, it's so going to be high. In there, yeah. yeah, it's going to be high. I'm in ninety percentile. Next. All right, last one, and this one courtesy of Philip Rivers. What's the chance you've ever actually used the word dadgummit in a conversation? <laughs> That'd be 0%. I'm not from the deep south. I'm not that guy either. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, not Bobby Bowden. I'm not Philip Rivers. I'm not even my dad who's from North Carolina. And I don't think even think my dad says that. Now, there's a reason that we're asking this. In Philip Rivers' retirement statement, he said, quote, I appreciate the referees for putting up with all my fussing. I think I was right most of the time, dadgummit. It was probably fussing, but yeah. <laughs> so I witnessed firsthand in the Chargers locker room his teammates when he was playing in San Diego when I was working on Palm Springs, making fun of Philip Rivers for saying dadgummit and other words and never cursing. They gave him the hardest time about that. Really funny stuff. Never curse. That's pretty good. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. 
we welcome in Ken Pomeroy, college basketball stats guru. He joins us on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline. Look Clearly, Ken, you hair. win the best hair of the midway point of the BYU basketball season. Congratulations. You beat out Caleb Lohner. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. How's it looking? It's, uh, you know, got a few split ends going, but. Uh, <laughs> Ken, when's the t- it? How long have you been growing that hair out? Uh, since March 12th. So uh, really the uh, Rudy Gobert plus one uh, is what I call it. The day after uh, the, the jazz game got canceled, I uh, saw the, the writing on the wall, went out and got my hair cut and uh, have not been back since. Man, 10 months. That's, that, that's incredible. That's incredible dedication. <laughs> yeah. Almost as incredible as your dedication to the numbers that you put out on KenPom.com, which brings us to this. According to the numbers, what does BYU basketball do best right now in the Ken Pomeroy Index? You know, they do a lot of things uh, well. They're not great at anything. Uh, this is, And I think that's the personality of the team when you're watching them. You know, you just don't see a team that's going to just, you know, dominate necessarily from the get-go. Uh, you know, they're not going to go on explosive runs maybe like they did last year. Uh, but uh, but they're just solid on both sides of the ball. And over the course of 40 minutes, you know, that, that wears down a lot of teams. Um, I guess if we're going to focus on a couple of things or maybe one general thing, it's really their, their two-point percentage offense and defense. Uh, both of those rank in the top 50 in the country. And, you know, if you want, uh, if, if you want to have a strength, really, I think it is your two point percentage, uh, whether it's offensively or defensively, that is something that is, is very consistent over time. And, you know, even though we're, we're 14 games in the season, normally that's not a lot of games to judge a team on. Uh, it's very encouraging. And, and I think bodes well for the future that, uh, you know, basically their two point percentage uh, is good on both sides of the ball. It was hard to know exactly what we were going to get from BYU after last year when BYU had an amazing run at the end of the season, beats Gonzaga, mm-hmm. loses dramatically in Vegas, but BYU was going to be a dangerous six seed in the tournament, according to Lenardi. And then all of a sudden it's like Alex Barcelo and some other guys, right? Yet BYU's 11-3, and three, and depending on who you ask, uh, in the bracket firmly or barely on, is BYU better than you thought they would be this year? Yeah, they are. I mean, I you know, obviously had those same concerns. I mean, they had to replace uh, just a lot of, uh, you know, really productive players from last year. You know, obviously, uh, that really a trio of Yoli Childs and, and TJ Hawes and, and Jake Toulson. I mean, there's a lot of offense from those guys. Uh, and you just knew that, uh, you know, they wouldn't quite be the same offensively. Um, but, uh, but, you know, they've come back pretty nicely. I mean, they're, you know, 58th on offense and 50th on defense. So, you know, it just kind of speaks to the fact that they've been pretty solid on both sides of the ball and, and the offense has been good enough. It's obviously not, it's not going to be at last year's level. You can't just like create that out of thin air, but, uh, but it's been pretty solid so far. Ken Pomeroy with us on BYU sports nation. Where do the Cougars frankly need some work if they hope to make a nice run back to the NCAA tournament for the first time in six years? Yeah. I mean, you know, they're uh, again, they're pretty solid in most areas and the areas where they're not solid are, are places where, uh, you know, it's kind of normal for a, a Mark Pope team, uh, you know, the one area that is maybe a little concerning is as they commit uh, too many turnovers, you know, 210th in the country in turnover percentage offensively, committing a turnover on 20.3% of their offensive possessions. Uh, however, uh, again, this is a sort of a staple of a, of a Mark Poe team. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you, it sounds bad and you think like, oh, you know, we always want to have, you know, as few turnovers as possible. But, you know, any offensive system, you, you know, if it's going to be somewhat dynamic, it has to take some risk. You're know, going to have some turnovers. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, Mark Poe teams tend to be, you know, below average in terms of turnovers. So you know, that's not a super troubling area. Um, you know, they also don't get to the free throw line that often. But again, kind of a normal thing for, uh, for a Mark Pope team. 
uh, you know, last year was an exception, certainly in the turnover department, but for the most part, his team just get it done by, you know, basically shooting efficiency and, and they're, you know, not a great three point shooting team this year. That's another area of concern, but again, that two point percentage does kind of make up for some of that. So we know how this works, but let's inform the audience how it works. Because people see BYU at 53 in Ken Palm, and they go, why doesn't Ken like BYU? It has nothing to do with that. You go offensive efficiency, which is points per 100 possession, minus defensive efficiency, points per 100 possession, and then it's listed. It's not an opinion thing from you. It's just how BYU performs, right? Yeah, there are 347 teams, or you know, 357 in a normal year, but 347 that are active this year. So it would, you know, it would just be uh, too much work for me to like go through and adjust every team <laughs> and figure out, you know, which team do I like and which team do I don't like. Like I'm, I'm a little lazy on that front. And you so, have more uh, hair to maintain yeah. now. You don't have time for this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, you gotta have priorities. And uh, so this, yeah, this just kind of runs automatically. Yep. I love the BYU fan, and I saw this on Twitter the other day. Kentucky's number 54, so clearly there's some favoritism towards Kentucky, one spot behind BYU when they're 4-8, and eight, right, Ken? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll point out that Kentucky has dropped to 58 uh, since that tweet. So it's so, even uh, worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, am I crazy? I don't understand why we're picking on Kentucky, actually. Like, Penn State is 48th, and they're 3-6, and six, so uh, <laughs> talk about them. Yeah, wait a minute. So clearly... Yeah, I mean... I mean, Ken, Gonzaga seems to be at the peak of their powers. It's been an incredible run for them. Is this the best Gonzaga team ever by the numbers? Yeah, by the numbers, I think so. I think just uh, by watching them, I think so. Like the real, you know, the challenger is, is the 2017 team that went 29-0 and and, and obviously uh, lost to BYU in that, uh, that season finale and then ended up going to the national title game and losing to North Carolina. And that was a team that ranked first defensively, 16th offensively. They finished number one in my, in my ratings, even despite losing to Carolina in the title game. Uh, this year, they're, they're number two offensively behind Iowa. They're 13th defensively. Uh, again, they're number one in my, my ratings, and I feel pretty confident that they're going to stay there, even though Baylor's pushing them pretty hard. I think they're going to stay there heading into the tournament. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a really solid team. Uh, you know, I've made this point before and, uh, I'll make it again here, but you could certainly make a case if you're filling out an all WCC team, like you could just make it all five Gonzaga players. Uh, they, you know, they've been that good. Uh, and, uh, you can't say that about too many teams in history in any conference, but, uh, but you could say that about them this year for sure. I think there have been seven or eight players of the week and all but one have been Gonzaga, which <laughs> we're like, can we just name a non Gonzaga player just so right. BYU has a shot? Well, Ken, uh, let's finish with this. Uh, how do people subscribe to your stuff? Because we do, and we love it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, KenPalm.com, it's still uh, the same old price, nineteen ninety five for for 12 months. So uh, sign up, and you get access to all the stats I've just been talking about, and you can uh, track BYU for the rest of the season. They should be uh, an interesting team to track. Just add a daily hair tracker to the website, okay, Ken? <laughs> I will do. Yeah, I should take pictures every week. And just... <laughs> Ken, you were you were you were pushing it back a lot. I think you'd like that. I think you'd like that you can do this now. <laughs> no shame. It's definitely you know I, I felt like uh, I've always felt I always felt like rebelling kind of growing up and really never had the guts to do that. But uh, now I'm doing it. And yeah, it does feel pretty good. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Ken, great work as always. Great to catch up with you. We'll do it again soon. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. Ken Pomeroy on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why, we show how. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. 
and catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio. BYU.